Welcome to Strategies for Turbulent Times with your hosts, Matthew Werner and Dr. Kathy Greenberg, here to help you stare down adversity, adapt, improvise, and overcome the challenges you are facing in your own life. Now, here are Dr. Kathy and Captain Matthew. Welcome, welcome everybody. Good to have you back with us. If you've been following along, we want to thank you. Uh, we are now into our third month on the air, and I have to tell you, we are so blown away by your reception, uh, your shouts out of love, and we shout right back at you. So keep listening. We are so happy you're with us. Today, we have an amazing guest. And with 26 years as a leading criminal justice professional, from 24 years on patrol, specialty divisions, detective criminal investigations and homicide, and narcotics, to 22 years on SWAT, 17 of those years as a team leader, an explosive breacher, and shield operator, Chris Frazier has seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he is the recipient of multiple service awards, both the Meritorious Award and the Distinguished Service Award, as well as being the Law Enforcement Officer of the Year in his organization. He continues to pave the way for an ongoing life of service. We are excited to have Chris with us today to talk about what it means to be in service and how his personal outlook on life but the passion for excellence never quits. Chris, welcome to the show. And Matthew, it's good to have you here with me still hanging in. I appreciate you. By a thread. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's great to have you, Chris. I tell you, my man, um, you know, just for the audience. So uh, Chris and I, we met up with his team uh, a few or a couple of years ago. And uh, he's from my alma mater, the good old state of... Uh, of the Midwest. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so we just uh, we kept in contact. And uh, I tell you what, uh, for the audiences, Chris is just an amazing uh, individual. Um, you know, he's, he's one of those, uh, those uh, professionals that you, that you look up to and you want to emulate. Um, and uh, he, he covers it very well. But uh, we all know, as uh, we've been having guests on this show, I mean, there's a lot of baggage that comes with so many years of uh, expertise in the profession that he's uh, decided to become a uh, true, uh, I don't want to use the, the term hero, but one of those that will genuinely take care of the community uh, in this nation. So uh, we're so happy to have you with us, Chris, and, um, you know, looking forward to the show. So Thanks, I appreciate Chris, that. Uh, uh, we, we love hearing your voice, and uh, one of the things that we always talk about uh, in the episodes that we've had to date uh, are, you know, the gifts uh, that law enforcement shares uh, every day. And, you know, Matthew speaks to that in volumes, given his background and his career in uh, U.S. Navy uh, Special Operations, and um I think that's where the two of you hit it off. Now, we met back in 2021 at TACOPS. Yep. Let me give a shout-out yep. here to TACOPS coming up here in D.C. For those of you who have not signed up, there is still time to go to both 
pack ops in Tennessee down south and amazing amount of time to get to TAC Ops DC in September. So please go to TACOps.com and Larry Barisnoy is your host. He does an amazing job. He throws a party for three days, plus he trains and educates you better than anybody I know in this industry for such a small amount of money. It's ridiculous. But we all show up because we love y'all and we want you to get better and be good and well and happy and do your jobs and feel loved. So, Matt, I'm going to turn the show over to you and Chris for a couple minutes to talk about um, how you both uh, kind of think about the world in terms of service. And, and Chris, um, if you could just kind of give us your perspective on what service means to you, and then I'm going to turn it over to Matt to talk to you about who's influenced you. Yeah, thank you. Um, first of all, you guys are, are <laughs> the introduction and the, the words that you said about me are, are uh, heartfelt, I know, but uh, it's hard for me to listen to some of that stuff. But I, I, I truly appreciate what a gift to be a part of this show today and a blessing. So thank you. Um, just wanted to get that out of the way real quick. Um, you know, uh, to be honest, um, service in my family has just been kind of uh, um, how we kind of do life, um, and I think that's that's the blessing for me um, where I've come from, uh, growing up in the Midwest and having a family, a very supportive family. Um, the service side of things has always been instilled that that's that's why we're here on this earth. Um, a lot of that has been through our faith and. Uh, the character and morals and values that my, my parents kind of instilled, and I'm sure Matt and I will get into that a little bit later on, but um, to me, that's what it was. And, uh, and as I think as we, we talk a little bit this hour, you'll see how kind of my, my opinion of uh, or what I expected to happen in law enforcement kind of changed as my career developed and changed. But the service side of things um, really got instilled in me at a very young age about serving other people before yourself. Um, so that's, that's kind of how it, how it's kind of started for me. And that, that kind of originated through my family. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's super, Chris. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. I've got so many thoughts that's, that's going through my head right now, especially with the world that we're living in and the, the, uh, the, uh, chaotic, uh, ambiguous, um, well, what we call it, the, the, um, environment that we are living in it's uh it's concerning and as you're talking about you know the the upbringing that you had um the 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 idea of service to others um and the importance of that and that's what i I just want to bring out to the audience of just understanding you know how important that is it's not about ourselves which we see all too often our emotions and how to understand what our emotions are, but also it's about, you know, understanding other people's emotions and being able to help others that need help. Um, so as you were, you were speaking about a little bit there, who is the most influential person in your life and uh, in your upbringing? I know we had, we had some pretty funny uh, conversation earlier about your father, um, but uh, who was the most influential and what got you into what you're doing? Yeah, so I think early on, you know, growing up, um, it was definitely my family. My mom and my dad um, were 
hard workers. And my mom was a teacher. My dad was a salesman. We were, you know, grew up in your middle class, average American home. But I was just very blessed to have uh, an example of what it looked like to work hard. So the work ethic for me came from my my mom and my dad. Um, and in the middle of all that, um, you know, we come. I come from a family of faith, and that's a huge integral part for me personally as to how I stay grounded. And that's where the service comes into it, because I was raised to believe that this life isn't about what I get out of it. It's about what I can do to help others. Um, and by doing that, then you obviously, you get a lot of rewards benefited from that, you know. Um, but my, I would say my, my dad probably was one of the strongest voices growing up, um, you know, through adolescence and into high school and even into college. Uh, you know, it's funny, Matt, we, we were having some conversations about our dads a little bit ago. And, and I, as we were talking, I, I actually remembered when I was a kid, I, I played sports. I was an athlete in high school and college, and, and my dad coached a couple of my teams. Um, and there was one specific time when my dad, you know, I was just, I, I was, my, my whole task was to stay on one guy on defense. And just, uh, that was my only task. I didn't care if I touched the ball, didn't matter what I was doing. My coach said, I want you to harass this guy for the whole, the whole game. Um, and I remember at halftime, I came to the sidelines cause I was getting my butt kicked and my, my dad literally grabbed me and said, you gotta, you gotta stop being intimidated. Quit. Don't let another man ever intimidate you. And literally like tossed me back out on the field. Um, so it was one of those moments, even as a young kid, I realized that this is a lesson my dad's wanted me to understand. Like, don't be intimidated by this. Like this is a challenge, but don't be intimidated by it. And I carried that through with me. Um, I- I'm very fortunate. I'm just, I'm just blessed. I'm very fortunate to have married a woman that is um, a godly woman who, who supports everything that I do. Um, and I think that is an integral part to uh, the service side of things in law enforcement these days. I have a family that truly rallies around me anytime there's an, a moment of, um, you know, uh, a danger or anything that we may encounter that's a little bit hairy. Uh, I come home to a wife and kids that just that put their arms around me and support me, and that's that's a major blessing. So, influential wise, definitely my dad and my mom coming through uh, growing up. But then I've been with my wife now for you know twenty almost twenty nine years, and uh, she's been my biggest support. So she's definitely my my biggest fan and my uh, somebody that I lean on very heavily. That that is really beautiful. I just want to say I'm grateful that you're still intimidated by women. <laughs> well, they call my wife well, the Velvet Hammer for a reason. I didn't realize 29 years? Yeah, buddy. I'm old, man. They got yeah, married. Did I hear that correctly? They got married in kindergarten. Yes, man, I think you're like 35 years old. <laughs> yeah, thanks, brother. Thank you. Wow. Wow. That's, that's very impressive, my man. You're staying young. So tell, tell, tell us the secret. <laughs> What's the secret sauce? To staying young. Oh man, you know what? To, to, to staying young is uh, staying active, dude. Because when you stop, it just starts going downhill. I mean, it just yeah. it just does. I just stay active as I can be in everything that I'm doing and trying to, you know, just keep it in perspective. So that picture of you with a bottle of tequila really has nothing to do with how you run your life. <laughs> <laughs> I got okay. You know, God, I got completely set up by that. Uh-huh. Just so there's, let's get that uh-huh. out of the way. That was a complete setup. Planted that on in that picture. <laughs> yes, absolutely, right, Chris, you did. <laughs> defend yourself here. 
That's right. I was. I don't even. I don't even drink. And Matt stuck a bottle of tequila and took a picture of me holding this bottle of tequila sitting on his couch, and then sent that out to my entire team. Like, hey, look who I'm hanging out with tonight. And I'm like, that's not even me. <laughs> you know, he he gave me that picture last night and wanted me to use it as your e card picture to advertise the show. And I. Oh man! Well, that, I'm sure that would have got a few phone calls from the family. <laughs> oh really? Well, I was just concerned if I was supporting, you know, marketing and advertising for the tequila company or for this radio show. But anyway, let's uh, we digress. <laughs> we digress, and I digress by saying radio show because now they're called podcasts, and of course we've That's all right. been listening to many of these shows for many many years under different names. But of course, the language of our community is changing. So let's let's drive in here um, a little deeper into when you joined law enforcement. You know, today's show is, is called A View from All Angles, SWAT, Homicide mm-hmm. and Narcotics. You've done it all and you're you're still doing it. So when you decided as a kindergartner to become a law enforcement <laughs> professional, a public safety yeah. guardian you know, a working warrior, what, what was going through your head and has it turned out the way you thought it would? Yeah. You know, that's, it's interesting as a kid, I really didn't even have being a cop wasn't on my radar. Law enforcement wasn't a thing. Obviously, you, you know, as a kid, you think that stuff is cool, but I didn't really think that this was going to be a profession for me. Um, it really developed after I had graduated from uh, college and I was married. Um, my wife had one year of school left. I got married young, and I was truly just trying to find a job, and I couldn't find much employment. Um, so I took I was working about three jobs at the same time, and one of them happened to be um, working for the detention center here in the area that I live in uh, at the juvenile center. And through that, I started meeting police officers that would, you know, I would come into contact with as they were dropping uh, delinquents off that they had placed under arrest or for whatever reason. Um, and through the conversations that I was having there, I thought, man, this is, this actually is a thing that I might want to do. Um, so that's what really got it started for me. Um, and I, I'll be honest, I was so green when I first became a police officer. I mean, I, I was the rookie of rookies. Like, I couldn't have told you what marijuana smelled like. I couldn't have told you what kind of drugs were on the street. I, I didn't have any knowledge at all or what to expect. I truly just thought this is a way that I can serve and be some kind of a productive, you know, uh, person in my community. Um, then I got into it, and and I'll be honest with you. Day one, literally, this is a true story. Day one, uh, we had a armed barricaded suspect, and I'm with my field training officer and. We're standing on the perimeter, and I'm just wide-eyed and excited because I, I truly can't believe I'm a part of this right now. And I saw our SWAT team at the time pull up in the truck, and these guys were jumping off. And the shield operator uh, was the first guy off the truck leading them up to the house, and it was the coolest thing that I've ever seen. Um, I knew at that moment right then and there, this is what I want to do. I want to be that guy. I want to lead this team. Uh, so that's what started me down that path of uh, the tactical side of things. Um, so that that's really how it developed for me. Um, but I'll be honest with you, it, it has changed so much. Um, I've been doing this now for 26 years, going on 27, and 
from the time when I first started, there were no cell phones. We, you know, we didn't even have cameras. We, we had none of the stuff that we, we have to use every day yes, now. Smoke, uh, so how... Is that what you, smoke signals? Is that what you use back then? What, I, I, I can remember having to call in the dispatch about a payphone. You know, we pulled up to the payphone. Yeah, I'm that, I'm that old. So, yeah, we, I mean, it just became, um, it's just different. Uh, it definitely is a different time frame. Um, but how you treat people has not changed. Um, and I can get into a little bit of that later on, but I think that's how my career has changed is how I have changed in the way that I manage myself with the people that I come into contact with. It's not the bells and the whistles and all the different technological stuff that we have to use. Um, but for me, it has been how I have personally changed in my approach to people. That, that's, that's great, Chris. I tell you, you know, just as you, you, uh, you spoke so well about, you know, when you start a career in law enforcement, in the military, um, in some of these uh, occupations, that there is a sense of threat, uh, you know, it's exciting. There's a sense of excitement, a sense of service, a sense of, you know, can I actually be somebody as a young individual to be able to be a professional that's responsible for not only my own life, but somebody else's life as well. Yeah. And as you're talking about, you know, um, you know, it, it goes from sense of excitement and you're learning, you're getting fed with a fire hose, as we call it, in special operations, special forces, uh, to the point where you're training people and then you realize what you've actually learned. And uh, if you would, if you wouldn't mind, um, can you share with us, as you look at your career, um, is there a defining moment when uh, you learned a hard lesson that made you a better um, version of yourself? And as you kind of flip that page from excitement to being a true professional? Yeah. Wow. That's a good question. Um, there's a, several stories that kind of swirl around when you ask a question like that. But I think one of the ones that just um, came right to mind uh, se- several years ago in our community um, we are the larger city in our, uh, I guess, our county in our area. So we have small um, townships or burgs that are surrounding us where our, our, you know, county lines, city lines meet. There was an evening where um, one of the smaller burgs that had at the time probably two to three officers working in a night had a, a domestic situation where the husband decides uh, he's not going to allow his ex-wife to have any kind of a life. And so he uh, had intentions of taking her life. He went there with an assault rifle and um, was holding her hostage. And when the call came out, he started opening fire on the officers that were there in that small uh, little township. So he hit one of the officers, grazed him, and actually killed a passerby that was literally dressed driving home from work. So we we heard this on radio traffic on... Yes. Chris, I'm just going to ask you just to pause. And, and yes, I, I, I hate, yeah, I hate to cut you off right now, but we've got to go to a break. And when we come back, we're going to pick up right where we left off. So hold that thought. Don't go away. You're listening to Strategies for Turbulent Times.
Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Results will always favor the peak performer. MagnusWorks is a cutting-edge mobile app to help you and your team build peak performance across 11 critical well-being domains to go from great to Magnus. MagnusWorks balances individuals with real-time tailor-made check-ins with pulse vibes to increase mental, physical, and emotional well-being. It spans every aspect of your daily life. Get started now. Inspire. Educate. Impact. And transcend. MagnusWorks.com. That's Magnus, W-O-R-X.com. How can you be brilliant in the moment, given the daily challenges you face at work and home? How can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses? Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence-based tips and tools. They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs, they help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams and your organization. The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Welcome back to Strategies for Turbulent Times. Have a question for Dr. Cat or Captain Matt? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now, back to the show. So, Chris, when we went to the break, uh, and I apologize for that cut, it was an awkward moment, but the reality is, when you're doing a live, um, professionally produced podcast, uh, it, it can, just like you are when you're watching TV, you just hit a commercial break and, and it's time to go. Do you, do you, when you go through this conversation in your head as you're bringing this story back to us where we left off, do you visualize this? Do you feel this whole experience? Absolutely. Um, I can... I can, it's, it's a vivid memory that will stay with me probably for the rest of my life, but I can remember almost every detail of that night um, because of the interactions that we had to have and because of the decisions that we had to make that evening. Uh, it was it was traumatic for everybody involved. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's I can explain it to you well because I, I can remember it like it was yesterday, and this has been, you know, years now that it's passed. Well, I just want to make sure that we're all listening together to these collective critical incidents that we are also managing our own mindsets and our, our own well-being. So as you pick this up, I just want to uh, make sure that you're good. And as, as oh, yes, we ma'am. proceed, anybody who's listening is good too. This is, you know, the average law enforcement professional 
is used to hearing these things, uh, has been involved in many of these things. Uh, but that doesn't mean that everybody has been. So as you, you know, take on this wonderful opportunity to share your memories of service, I just want to acknowledge that to both our audience um, and, and those who are with us participating, mainly yourself. I do care, and I want to make sure that we are, um, you know, just being mindful of the experience we're putting you through. So just if you are ready to pick up where you left off, let's go. Yeah, sure. No, thank you for that, Kat. Uh, uh, so to answer your question, Matt, um, this was a situation where um, I actually wasn't working at the time, but this was a, a call that because of the location where it was at in relation to our city, our officers responded to assist the smaller agency. Uh, the gentleman or the officer that was first on scene uh, was a SWAT guy, uh, one of my one of my teammates. Uh, he was a canine handler. Um, another general, the other second in uh, behind him, the other officer that responded. They kind of all got there at the same time. They were all SWAT guys, and so uh, this is my team of guys going to help these guys out. They get on scene, and we don't really know exactly where the shooter is, but we know where he was last seen. So our guys get out and they begin to do what, what our guys do. They take their canine and they're going down this alley and out of the shadows, this guy opens fire on our team. And again, these guys are patrolmen at the time. So they're doing their patrol duties. And our guy took a round to the foot, um, nearly blew his foot off. And it was one of those moments where, you know, now my second guy behind him is laying down cover fire uh, now they're dealing with a wounded officer down in the middle of an alley, and we we got to try and manage this. So when this was all going on, you know, this was a chaotic moment. Uh, the dog that was there, our canine, he was also hit, and because the dog was hit, then it stuck him into a, a fight drive. He bit one of our officers trying to get him under control. They had to end up shooting the dog just to get him off of our officer. Um, long story short is our guy got taken to the hospital, um, and at the end of this all, he, he had many surgeries, but ended up losing his foot out of the whole deal. But that night I get a phone call at my house. Uh, it's late at night. It's about probably midnight, 1, 1 AM. I get a call, a frantic call from one of my other guys saying, Hey, uh, he's been shot. We need to get to this town and get, and, and manage this scene. So I'm a, I'm a team leader at this point in my career. And this was one of the very first experiences that as a team leader, I had to make decisions for the well-being of uh, the, the citizens of this smaller community and for my own team. So when I arrived on scene, what I experienced was a massive amount of police officers that had come into this scene because now we have two police officers that have been shot. We, we don't know where the shooter is at, but we believe he's still alive and walking around this town. But what I experienced was a collective administration from our department, from uh, the county agency from the little Berg there, everybody and at administration level was trying very diligently on who's going to pay the bill for all this overtime. And so that was the decisions that were being made, not a decision to allow us to go do work. So as a leader, uh, that was one of the very first experiences I had to come into where I have one of my guys down. We don't know his condition. He's been removed from the scene, but now I have to manage the scene and I'm not being allowed to go do what we're supposed to go do. Uh, it was a very difficult time for me as a leader and a gut check, like, what are we doing? You know, this, this, we know what to do as a team. We know how to go handle this situation. Let us go. But 
the politics and all the things that happened behind the scene were uh, delaying us. We were literally given orders, hey, don't stand down for a minute. Let's, let's make a decision. And everyone wanted to wait. Uh, it became a situation where at the end of it, uh, I grabbed the other team that was with us, um, that was there helping. And I, you know, we basically made a decision. This is enough. We can't wait any longer. We drew out again, this tells you our age, but that was before we had cell phones and we could look at maps on Google. We had a land map that we laid out and we looked at the town and we'd started breaking off the grids and we took our teams and we started moving. Um, we, we managed the situation without the permission of our, our administration, but we knew that was the right thing to do to eliminate a threat that we still believed was, was active and moving through this town. Once we actually located the individual, uh, he had taken his own life, which we weren't aware of, but at the time we were making these decisions. That's a long story to answer your, your question as that was the one time in my life that I knew as a leader, as a leader of the SWAT team, that um, I didn't make the decision I should have made when I first got on scene. And it just ate at me. It ate at me that I, I allowed time to go by knowing that we had an active threat in a community that needed to be eliminated, that needed to be taken care of. And I allowed uh, voices that have more seniority, more authority over me to dictate a decision that I knew was the correct one to do. So, um, the lesson in all that for me was I, I just took a vow to myself this is never going to happen again. I'm never going to allow myself to be put in a situation where I know there's a right decision to make, and I know at the core of me that this is what we need to be doing, but um, no longer will an administrator tell me that this is not a process that we need to do when I know it's the right thing to do. So that that developed me as a leader. Um, that one instance really kind of catapulted me into another level of leadership to understand that. I'm responsible for the men that work for me. I'm also responsible to the community that I work for. Um, and sometimes there are times when you have to make decisions and do things that maybe an administrator or someone who, who writes the paychecks wouldn't agree with, but it's still the right thing to do. Um, and so you got to stand on that island sometimes by yourself. And I didn't that night. It was a failure on my part as a leader, uh, I believe, but it absolutely um, kind of hardened me to know that you're, you're capable of making those decisions moving forward, and I have. So that's the kind of thing that, that forms you. I mean, I really believe that failure kind of makes you stronger anyway. It, it, it causes you to be better. Um, and so that's kind of how I moved forward from that, from that night. You know, Chris, I love it. And uh, I tell you, it's um, a couple point, pointers that I, I heard you say, you know, making the hard right call. And uh, when I was asked to be a troop chief, or, uh, you know, and uh, selected to be that at the highest level at one of the uh, Tier 1 commands in the United States uh, military, you know, you ask yourself as a human being, like, what do they see in me and what can I actually give? And one of the best things that I, I still carry with me from my senior leader, uh, my commanding officer, was that, you know, it's all about making the hard right call. And as you're saying yeah. that, making that decision when there's, you know, obviously there's there's people in harm's way, there's civilians in harm's way, and you as the operator, as the law enforcement professional, is put on scene to make that hard right call. And you look at it and you see all the ugliness that everybody wants to 
you know, hone in on the administrative uh, restrictions, you know, the bureaucracy of what we live in, um, yada, 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 because that's what everybody in any armchair quarterback can sit back and, and look at. But it's it's a select few that understand that hard right call on when to take action. But it's so difficult to do when you're put in that position. Yeah, I think you can uh, you can share that. Um, but, you know, to make the hard right call and to grow up, and to uh, to mature and to being in that position, uh, to me, and you tell me if there's anything else that, uh, that you'd like to share, but, you know, it's the morals and ethics of your upbringing and uh, decision-making, even though you don't know it's the, the right decision-making because we're all young. You know, we're growing up. We yeah. make stupid decisions. You know, we, we do all kinds of things. Um but it's, uh, you know, as being a leader now, looking at your next, you know, in command, who you're upbringing, who you're training, who you're mentoring, um, you know, some of the things that you look at them as far as being able to make that hard right call instead of being a, uh, you know, a slipknot, so to speak. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think the, the biggest thing for me uh, was, you know, to put it simple, you learn from your mistakes. And, Although it worked out that evening that you know the, the suspect took his own life, so there there was no true threat that we thought was walking around the town, even though we didn't know that at the time. Um, you have to you have to be able if you're going to be a good leader, you have to be able to take a step back and see this is a moment when I I didn't do it right, but I know I can fix it, and I'm going to learn from that mistake and not do it again. And I think you know that's part of the biggest. I, I think personally that's the hardest thing for some leaders to, to wrap their minds around is that it's, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to make a decision that isn't the right decision, you know, or you're going to make a decision that is the right decision, but it's going to have some consequences on the other side, but you still have to make it. Um, and I think for me, just growing into that leadership role throughout my career, um, that's been the most difficult thing for me to really grasp onto. But once you do it, once you cross over that barrier of, this is going to be a decision that I'm going to have to make and I'm going to have to stick with. Um, it gives you resolve. It, it, it gives you um, a strength that you don't normally, you know, you wouldn't have had before until you actually make those decisions and you walk through them and you come out the other side of them. Um, they're not fun to make. They're not, you know, the moments in your career where you laugh and you tell these stories like, man, this is a great time. These are the ones that you, you have some, they have some burn to them because it, you know, it hurts when you don't do it right. So, um, I do think that it's it's important as leadership, you know, moving forward, doesn't matter what you're leading or who you're leading, you have to be able to admit when you're wrong and move in a different direction. I was just going to say, you know, we, we all need to understand that at the root of what you two are talking about, and I'm sure what our listeners are thinking, is called moral courage. And it seems to be in short order today uh, among uh, many people. Uh, I'm not targeting public safety by any means. Um, it is just something that we have not practiced. Moral courage is part of a compass that all of us use to define, you know, where we're going to go in life and to keep that compass in, in what Stephen Covey called that true north direction. Mm -hmm. I find it really interesting, you know, that we're talking about something that, that we believe, but
but yet it's in such short supply. And I'm just curious as somebody, um, both you, uh, Matthew, and in, in your career as a trainer, the top 2% of these Tier 1 military organizations, and, and Chris, in your career um, as both a leader and a, a developer of others, how do you instill that in somebody? How do you make them aware of it? Um, and and I, I say that because... Well, we know the, the West Point leadership course, yeah. everybody, right? Um, and for those of you who don't know what it is, it's a specific number of hours on four subjects, meaning yourself as an individual, um, your own psychology, your position within a group, the group's position within a system, and you spend X amount of hours in each of those. Uh, there's four categories, and then you spend literally 12 hours on case studies to learn your character and to develop that understanding of your own view of moral courage based on these famous case studies dating back to the Revolutionary War. Let me ask you both, how are you passing this down to the future leaders in your respective organization? Just, Chris, why don't you take that first? Yeah, I mean that's a great question, Kat. For me, it's 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 leading by example because that's what I was modeled. Uh, that's the only way I knew how to do it. He, playing through sports, uh, I was very blessed to have coaches that didn't just talk the talk, but they walked it. They showed us how to be um, men of character on and off the field. I had a, a mom and a dad that showed that to me every day growing up. This is how we live. This is how we act. This is how we talk. This is. We have to make tough decisions sometimes, but this is who we are as an individual. And that was, you know, pounded into me as a kid. So growing up, I didn't really know any other way of doing it. But for me as a leader at my police department, I truly believe the best way that you can show the next generation moving forward is by example. Um, and so when I'm with my team and, I, and we're training, um, I'm, I'm the first guy out there. I'll be the last guy to leave if that's necessary, but I'm going to do everything that I'm asking them to do. I'm going to run every drill. I'm going to go through every drill. I'm going to sweat every drop of swat or sweat they're dropping. Uh, it's going to be one of those things where I want them to see that, Hey, my leader's out here doing everything that I'm doing and he's keeping up the numbers and he's, he's doing all the physical, everything that we got to do. I'm right there in the middle of all of it because I want them to know this is how you do things. This is how it should be done. Um, and it, even in investigations, when I was running homicides investigations, I, I don't ask anybody to do my work for me. I want them to see how I do my work so that then maybe they can carry that on with them into their own investigations to see how something was done correctly. Um, I just, that's the way I was raised. And I, I truly believe that is the best single way that a leader can pass something on to the next generation is to show them what it looks like. Thank you for that, Chris. Um, absolutely. And when we come back from break here, um, we'll, we'll dive a little bit deeper, uh, just real quick into, uh, leading by example. What does that mean? Cause, uh, there's all kinds of different examples, whether it's right or wrong. Thank you for, uh, uh, turning into, uh, or tuning into, uh, strategies for turbulent times here. And, uh, we look forward to having you back.
Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Results will always favor the peak performer. MagnusWorks is a cutting-edge mobile app to help you and your team build peak performance across 11 critical well-being domains to go from great to Magnus. MagnusWorks balances individuals with real-time tailor-made check-ins with pulse vibes to increase mental, physical, and emotional well-being. It spans every aspect of your daily life. Get started now. Inspire. Educate. Impact. And transcend. MagnusWorks.com. That's Magnus, W-O-R-X.com. How can you be brilliant in the moment, given the daily challenges you face at work and home? How can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses? Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence-based tips and tools. They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs, they help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams and your organization. The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Welcome back to Strategies for Turbulent Times. Have a question for Dr. Cat or Captain Matt? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Strategies for Turbulent Times. And we're talking to Chris Frazier, 26-year veteran across SWAT homicide and narcotics. When we went to break, Chris, we were talking about moral courage. And uh, one of my mentors on the subject was one of the founders uh, of Delta Force, a gentleman by the name of uh, Jerry Boykin. Um, Jerry founded uh, Christian Soldier, um, and he is one of the people that was trying to capture the militia leader, uh, Mohammed Farah Adid. And he's, you know, a, a pretty uh, respected voice uh, in, in his community. And when I spent time with Jerry, uh, when I writ- wrote my book, Fearless Leaders, Sharpen Your Focus, you know, he taught me about this moral courage. And what I'm about to ask you takes a little bit of moral courage here to answer. So forgive me for being so abrupt, but we are about 15 minutes away from the end of this show. Can you give us a synopsis of a critical incident where you were able to get back on track emotionally, spiritually, um, mind, body, and soul, and back into your career when you thought that that might not be possible given what happened or the experience 
that you were a part of, even though it may not have been you that was directly in the critical incident. And so I'm kind of framing this here so you can pick whatever vantage point you want, not knowing sure. what you're going to say. But um, let me just turn it over to you for the kind of the remainder of where we are to learn some of that from you before uh, we, we leave the airwaves. Yeah, um, that's a great question. Um, I, you know, 26 years, there's been a lot of experiences that you walk through. Some of them, um, some of them really good, some of them really bad. I could pick ones from uh, investigations from homicides, but the one that literally jumped out when you asked that question, uh, I was working patrol um, third shift one evening many, many years ago, uh, and we had been looking for uh, a subject that was uh, wanted on an escape warrant, and I had an idea where I thought this, this individual would be, uh, and lo and behold, as I'm kind of doing a uh, surveillance detail in this area, I see this individual drive by, and we do what police officers do. We get into a, a pursuit. We try and stop this individual, and it was a female. Um, and after a very short pursuit, um, she, she wrecks her car into a side of a building, flips it over, car catches on fire. Um, I jumped out of my vehicle and even though, you know, obviously she's a suspect at this time, the car is on fire and I'm trying to get her from the car, but she's pinned in, um, having a lot of difficulty doing that. And the car is now uh, turning into uh, a blaze and getting ready to be a very big problem. We eventually got her out of the vehicle, but her injuries uh, were, were pretty severe. And uh, by the time we got her to the hospital, uh, she had she had passed because of the due to the injuries. That was traumatic in and of itself, just because I was the officer pursuing her, um, and she she passed there while we had her uh, out of the vehicle. What was more traumatic for me, and I guess this was probably more at the time of my life, um, the family of that suspect began showing up at the hospital. Um, and so, you know, as officers do, we're on scene and then we're at the hospital and we're doing the things that we have to do. And I remember one of the, um, one of her children coming in, um, unbeknownst to him that I was the officer that chased, uh, his mom down the street. Uh, and I overheard him asking whatever relative it was he was with, where's mommy? Is this, is this, you know, is mommy coming home? And this was two days before Christmas, so it was in that time frame of the year. Um, that one actually broke me. I, I'll just be honest. Um, I don't know if it was because of the child, if it was because of what happened, but I remember having a moment to myself inside of the emergency room there where I was pretty emotional. Um, again, this kind of goes back to the right decisions. I know I had made the right decision to pursue a, a, a felon who was wanted for escape, um, but at the end of the day, it ended up taking her life. I was exposed to the emotions of the child. Um, so that was a tough one. Uh, and how I kind of came out of that was, um, my department was kind enough to give me a few days off to kind of debrief a little bit and, and kind of decompress with the, some of those things. But again, I, it was my family. It was the support system that I had put around myself before I became a police officer that brought me back to being able to walk up straight and, you know, have a, a healthy outlook on life. My wife was absolutely the biggest support in that time. Um, you know, my kids, my family, uh, just 
I can't I can't emphasize it enough that the support system around the officers is typically, in my experience, the thing that brings us back to uh, some sense of normalcy. Yeah, this is such a powerful conversation. And as you um, are aware, Chris, Matthew and I do a lot of work with Discovery House Ministries and the chaplain for FBI and law enforcement in the Philadelphia tri-state region. That's uh, New Jersey and Delaware. And, um, you know, there aren't enough people in this world uh, who've, who've experienced these kinds of difficulties to understand the impact it has on your lifelong view of yourself and the world around you. And I just want to acknowledge you for sharing that. And, you know, there's a, a, a beautiful prayer that Father uses um, you know, Lord, please protect the brave men and women in my community who serve as police, firefighters, and paramedics. And please guide these men and women and help equip them mentally, physically, and spiritually to confront the scenes and scenarios set before them. And it says it all, you know. I mean, there is not enough power in this world to provide to those of you who are in service and that includes Matthew and, and his work over 25 years in the military, um, to comfort you and to, to give you what you need. And uh, as, as we come to a close here, Chris, I just want to give a couple learnings to the audience. Um, and the first one is that we gain so much from those who love us and who mold us and who give us mm. the encouragement to follow our dreams. And then when we find that purpose in our lives that engages us, um, we need to make sure that that family is supporting who we are and who we want to become. And then when we get in a leadership role where we are in front and guiding others, as Matthew likes to say, making that hard right call, having that fearless climate and recognizing, as you have, Chris, in your leadership years, how important it is to do what's right in the moment, regardless of how favorable or unfavorable the decision is, it's the right thing to do. And I just want to acknowledge you and everything you've shared in the time that we've had today. And I'm sure the audience can resonate with a lot of what you've shared. And I want to end this on a high note because we love to shout out to everybody and make sure everybody gets an opportunity to, to hear others' stories of strength and commitment and how they have readdressed, recalibrated that stress to work for them, not against them. And so we definitely applaud you for that. Um, Matthew, I'm going to give you the last question, which um, I hope uh, brings some joy to all of us before we say goodbye <laughs> after this pretty heavy-hearted conversation. <laughs> I don't know if that's uh, safe. I don't know. Um, no, I, I love it, Chris. Maybe, should I like leave we're the talking, room? Like we're talking during the break. I mean, we could talk for hours, and we're looking so much forward to having you back at a uh, at another episode here, hopefully uh, sooner than later. But, you know, some of the key things that you hit on, and, um, you know, it just resonates so true with the acronym of FEARLESS. Uh, you hit on, you know, fail to succeed. What does that look like, and what's the importance of that? Um you know, that's the F in fearless, right? You have to understand what is what is failure? 
you know, and you have to understand, like I've seen a, uh, a speaker at the, um, or I watched a video on the speaker at a uh, college graduation telling the students, you know, as big as they felt during that day of graduation, you know, you have to fail. And if you're not failing, then you're not learning. And uh, I love that you brought that out. The other piece was the alignment of goals and beliefs of making that hard right call, which is the A in fearless, to be a true fearless leader and to go through those uh, steps in maturity and growth through a profession is critical to becoming that true fearless leader. Um, so um, I'm not going to end it with that. We'll get more into the next episode. But um, I do have a serious, uh, more serious question. Um, you know, as a law enforcement operator and as a guy who's constantly on the move, what is your favorite pair of socks? What socks do you like? <laughs> oh, man. Listen, no doubt for me, it's the no-show socks that I wear with my running shoes because usually that means I'm out running. Um, when I flip those bad boys on, it's freedom. I don't have to worry about anything. I'm hitting I'm hitting the road out in the, out in the sticks where I live, so there's really nobody around. But absolutely easy question to answer. <laughs> I love it. I love it, brother. I was getting worried there. I thought he was going to ask you something about your underwear. I was like, I don't know. Maybe I need to leave the room. That's a, that's a total different podcast. Go, yeah, well, go tidy whitey. No, what do you got, my man? This is a bromance. This is, this is totally, totally taking a turn. Um, but no, Chris, you know, as we come to a close here on the show, uh, a lot of powerful conversations, a lot of powerful memories, and we want to make sure that we leave you and everybody in our audience um, feeling good about what they do, um, how they do it, and where they do it. There are not enough good people these days going out to recruiting efforts uh, on behalf of any law enforcement agency, and we encourage those of you who are listening to please find those good people with that moral compass and that moral courage who are aspiring to be fearless leaders in their community and uh, have them, you know, bring that that character with them to law enforcement because we need you. So um, without uh, cutting this off too abruptly, Chris, any final words before we uh, give a shout-out here and a hug to our audience? Well, I just I, I thank you guys enough. I can't thank you enough for having me on today. That was a, that was a treat. Um, but if, if there's law enforcement guys out there listening, um, keep doing what you're doing. You are absolutely necessary to the communities that you you serve, and you may not hear it enough, uh, but you know, take it for what it's worth. From a guy who's done, been doing it for twenty six years, um, you are necessary. Absolutely, absolutely, can't say it enough. Well, I hope we get to see everybody at TAC Ops in D.C. We are doing a program on September the sixth on fearless climate, so come see us. Want to give a shout out to National Command and Staff College. To stand strong with us, training leaders in law enforcement and the military, and of course, MagnusWorks.com, our well-being app, getting out there, helping others get better faster. So, till next time, we're signing off. Strategies for turbulent times. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Strategies for Turbulent Times. 
We hope Dr. Cat and Captain Matt were able to help you create a plan or simply steer clear of the unknown with ways to overcome challenges in your own life. Until next time, be brilliant and stay fearless.